Hi, and welcome to You Love to See It, Fanbyte.com's movie and TV podcast. I'm Merritt Kay, features and trending editor at Fanbyte.com, and joining me this week are Danielle Riendo, a senior Hi. editor at Fanbyte.com. Hello. Yeah, that's, that is my title. Uh, senior uh, heat correspondent. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, also joining us is uh, Fanbyte. Uh, what is, wait, what is your title, Stephen? I always forget. I am managing editor. Managing editor, yes. Of course, these titles all very uh, important. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely, we all do <laughs> yeah. different things. A uh, lot of definition to my job, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, this week, um, we're not going to let ourselves get attached to anything we're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds if you feel uh-huh. the heat around the corner, because we're talking about Michael uh-huh. Mann's 1995 American crime film, Heat. Yeah. And uh, I want to just, first of all, thank my friend Aurora for recommending that I watch the films of Michael Mann. I had seen Collateral in theaters when it came out, but I'd never seen Heat. Uh, I've been told to watch it for quite a long time. And I was curious, like, have have either of you seen this before? Danielle, I know you hadn't, right? Because we watched it together last night. Yes. This is my first time watching the whole thing. It's one of those things where, like, in in film school, blah, 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 people talk about it and we you know, looked at scenes here and there, but I never actually sat down, watched the whole thing. So that this has been my first time with it. And Steven? Uh, the two closest things I had ever done to watching Heat were hearing people say that the story of Grand Theft Auto V is just trying to ape Heat. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and also I saw the uh, the only, I think the only Michael Mann movie I had ever seen before this was uh, the Miami Vice film remake mm-hmm. from like 2007 yeah. or something like that. Yup, that sounds about right. <laughs> Jamie Foxx and um, what's his name? The, uh, one of the Irish ones. One of the uh, Irish ones. I believe that was Colin Farrell, but <laughs> was that Colin Farrell? <laughs> it was one of the Farrells. It was Colin Farrell. It was. Not Will Farrell. Got it. Uh, Will no, Farrell that would be a very stars. different film. Um, so I believe, yeah, I believe Jimmy Fox frequent collaborator, uh, or maybe just the two times because, mm. uh, he was, uh, no, he was, he's actually has, uh, worked on, with Michael Mann on Ali and yeah. on, uh, Collateral. And nice. he okay. actually had a nomination for best supporting actor in that movie, but we're talking about heat today. So let's bring it back to heat. <laughs> so this is a film about, uh, about heists, which are maybe one of the best fantasies uh, films can provide to us. Uh, mm-hmm. Because although this is a very different film from like an Ocean's Eleven, which is much more about kind of like the prestige, right? It's right. about yeah. it's about setting up this plan and like tricking people. No, in this film, people die. A lot of people die. Um, so it is an action film. Um, the central tension is it, there's this cat and mouse game going on between... Robert De Niro as Neil McCauley, a seasoned heister, <laughs> and Al Pacino as Vincent Hanna, who is a robbery homicide detective trying to track down their crew after a botched heist leaves three security guards dead. And I did not know this when we when I watched this movie, but he is based on a true story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that as well, which is absolutely bananas. <laughs> Neil McCauley was a real guy. Yeah. Um, I think I'd heard that somewhere at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So Neil McCauley was a real guy and a lot of the details in the film are basically correct about him. Uh, the Vincent Hanna character is based on detective Chuck Adamson. Hmm. And, uh, uh, he was actually put away by Chuck Adamson in the sixties. And then when he got out, um, Wait, no, sorry. I'm misreading this. <laughs> he uh, he was doing heists and he was doing like drill bit heists and things like that, like in the film. And uh, Chuck Adamson did um, track him down in 64. Uh, but he was and he was also killed, uh, much like in the ending of this film, maybe getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of scenes in this film that are based on actual things that happen. Like the scene, kind of one of the key scenes of the film is when Macaulay and Hannah meet and they, they meet face coffee. to face. They get yeah. coffee because the whole thing about the movie is that uh, Hannah basically knows, like he basically has, like knows that these are the guys that right. did the last heist, but he has no evidence. And 
unless he catches them actually in the act of doing another heist, uh, the best he can get them on is like breaking an entry or something. And right. he, he isn't happy about that. So he does they, actually they have an opportunity to they do, do that. They do. Um, but and Sergeant actually, McClunky fucks it up. Sergeant yeah. oh, no. McClunky. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. He shot first, as it turned out. Yeah, it's really a but problem. <laughs> Adamson and Macaulay actually met for coffee. That's oh. wild. Yeah, that dialogue is based on an actual conversation they had. Huh. Yeah. That's incredible. So may- <laughs> maybe let's back up a bit. Um, yeah. Basically, the film opens and... Uh, but like I said, there's this botched heist, right? Because they have this new guy on their squad uh, named... Uh, Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow, which sounds yeah. like the name of like a plant fertilizer. Plant food or something. <laughs> yes. Use Wayne Grow on your lawn. Um, <laughs> and this guy is... Uh, bad. Bad. He's like a bad man because, you know, doing a heist, it's fun. You know, it's like, whatever. You're just stealing money from a bank. Um, As they say in the movie, your money is insured by the U.S. government. Like, yeah. they're, steal- they're stealing the bank's money. You. Yeah. <laughs> so Macaulay has this crew, uh, Chris Chiharlis, Michael Chirito, and Trejo, who is played by Danny Trejo, oh. uh, who just has just the same name. <laughs> He's just Danny Trejo. Um, and uh, they hire Wangro, and uh, they're robbing this armored car of these bearer bonds. And uh, Wangro just fucking kills one of the guards. So uh, Macaulay's kind like, of well, for no reason, kind of yeah. for no reason. Yeah, because yeah. he's twitchy and Macaulay's like, well, you can only get so wet. Right. So like kill the other two because uh, or kill the last guy because like we might as well not leave a witness. Right. Um, They're already down for murder one. And that's how uh, Al Pacino's cop character is able to determine that they are like professionals because they're like, well, if they're already going to go away from murder, they know that it makes more sense to just kill everyone. Right. Exactly. And uh, so they get away, but then they they're about they're going to kill Wayne Grove because he basically fucked like he caused them to have to do murders and uh, <laughs> they're about to kill him. But then a cop car passes by and he escapes. Um, meanwhile, the uh, they're trying to sell back the bearer bonds to the guy that they actually stole them from, who is this money launderer named Roger Van Zant. And uh, the whole angle there is, well, the insurance already paid you out. And if you buy them back from us at a discount, like you've made money on this deal. Right. Oh. But because he has to be a big man, he's like, oh, people think they can steal from me. I'm going to have them killed. Um, so he tries to kill Macaulay. That doesn't work. And then that starts kind of one of the other blood feuds happening in this movie. So there is the Van Zandt Macaulay way- angle. Uh huh. <laughs> His bodyguard, which we just, all we need to do right. is just Yes, we do mention. need to address this. <laughs> a very meaty uh, Henry Rollins is, yeah. is like the bodyguard of Van Zant. Like, just all eyebrows, all hair, all beef. Like, yeah, just in- like incredible. a walking wall. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. man. I, it is a good reminder that Henry Rollins was young once and was like in one of the most famous punk bands of all time. Because in my yeah. brain, like Henry Rollins is always playing like is doing kind of this but like with older characters because he's just an older man now like playing yeah. bit roles in major movies and sometimes video games as we discussed offline <laughs> yeah 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 um, but it's it's so strange for me to see 1995 henry rollins again after like a lifetime of uh the current version well it's so weird <laughs> to see a lot of 1995 versions yeah. of these people so yes. off the top of my head uh robert de niro looks very small and young in this movie. Like mm-hmm. he also has the uh, the goatee going on, yeah. which is a very is, odd look. He has it's the not devil's a good, goatee going on yeah. in this movie. It's not a, it's a great look, really. Not a great De Niro look. Some uh, people can make it work. Yeah. I don't think it works for him. Adam Sandler, for instance, made that work in a recent thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Natalie Portman, who is like 15 years old in this movie. It like that, yeah. She's it took like me a minute to realize, baby, right? Yeah, it took me a real a minute to realize that that was Natalie Portman because I was yep. like, oh, 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 that that child, that literal, like in the movie, literally a child teen, is, yeah. is yeah. Natalie Portman. Yep. Uh, she, yeah, she plays uh, Al Pacino's stepdaughter, who yeah. he has like a very good relationship with. It seems. Yeah. Um, and he also has this fraught marriage with uh, with his Justine. wife Justine. Yeah. And uh, she's 
smoking drugs and uh she's she's <laughs> on Prozac. High, high on Prozac. High on Prozac. Yep. Grass That's how you Prozac, know this movie was made says. in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um and he, he you know his home life is kind of uh not great because he is married to his job in many ways and uh he has told his wife that she has to share him with all of the scumbags of the world because he's just kind of obsessive. Um and there's there's shades of like Javert in this character, kind yeah. of just like single-mindedly, like that archetype of just like is just obsessed with uh with catching his quarry. And he's actually described kind of in that way by her throughout the film as like this beast or the hunter that just like all it is is what it's hunting Mm -hmm. uh meanwhile macaulay gets into this thing with um uh amy brenneman (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's it starts off so strangely because he goes into like eat dinner and this she starts like basically hitting on him or like trying to talk to him and he's just like what's it to you lady (laughs) <laughs> like, hey, I'm trying to eat. Which, what do you want, lady? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. she's trying to have a conversation. Like, what? Right. It's the most obvious flirting in the world. And like, he's just like almost a parody of a person being on their guard at, to a certain yeah, degree. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, they end up uh, initiating this relationship. She plays this uh, bookseller, but who wants to be, or who is like a graphic artist, but is just sort of doing that, um, by night. And, um, they, there's this tension because, uh, he obviously hasn't come out and said like, I'm a heist man. That's what I do. Um, he claims to be a salesman instead. And essentially like what we've got are like these two characters who are locked in this cat and mouse game while mm-hmm. they're sort of destroying their lives um, in pursuit of their goals. And, and literally everyone in this movie is destroyed. Like, anytime yeah. we see their their personal lives, they are already destroying it, or they are just, like, in the case of, like, Wayne Grow, like a complete actual psychopath. Yep. Right, yeah. That character is um, just, like, what is his deal? Because <laughs> he is just, like psychotically evil like he's just like just uh-huh. does things because he can or has like a whim like there is a scene that is just like man i just i can't i hate this in movies um yeah. it's like oh how do we show that this guy is evil well obviously he has to kill some lady but like um who's he gonna kill oh definitely a prostitute like right it's just like, like a, it's a like teenaged young black woman yes after he has had sex with this 16 year old he then is like you're on date with the grim reaper and then just like breaks her neck for no reason because he is just he's just just a serial killer he is basically yeah he's in this movie i think to be a foil to macaulay who is like this he's a criminal but he has a code you know like yeah and he's like he he tries to avoid killing people he's mostly just in it for like the heist wayne grow is just like a psychopath essentially I mean, right it, yeah. it, to to bring it back to the grand theft auto 5 comparison he's the trevor of this movie but like okay, that reference grab- means nothing to me but. oh really okay <laughs> uh, trevor the it, bald guy he's balding in in grand theft auto 5 he's like the he's like a complete psychopath and um but like because it's grand theft auto they like i don't know yeah it's funny i guess that he's just like pushing people into woodchippers or whatever uh and they kind of just never interrogate it at all uh whereas in this movie he's just like it is kind of in the opposite direction it is still very like satirical almost but like i don't think intentionally (laughs) Um, yeah 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 Yeah. um yeah so they uh it sort of proceeds this way and like they each realize like how smart the other one is uh there's a really great scene where uh macaulay and his crew basically trick uh (laughs) the lapd into thinking that they're scoping out like a dock or like a yeah a scrapyard and then realize that they have been like they're being staked out themselves (laughs) like right um it pulls back to macaulay like snapping photos of them I, that yeah. scene is is really incredible and completely highlights for me uh, one of well, there's two things at play in this scene, and they highlight both of the things that I think are the greatest strengths of the movie, which are the incredible cinematography and the incredible performances. And Robert De Niro here 
uh, is like complete restraint. In this scene and through most of the movie, it is mm-hmm. is all about being very muted, very restrained. Even his home is like very nice. It's very beautiful. He has no furniture. It's all about like restraint and not being attached. It's almost like a Buddhism to him. And Pacino, his character, is over the top by like so many uh-huh. levels. Like when he talks to Tone Loke in the okay. fucking Oh yeah, sorry. Oh, Tone Loke is also in this movie. <laughs> yeah. We forgot to mention that Tone Loke is in this movie, who you may remember movie. from uh I guess his nineties like musical career, but also the movie Fern Gully, when he plays yeah. that lizard that tries to eat the main character and yeah. sings also- a song about Vor. Also, we yep. should maybe just like say uh, also Val Kilmer, John Voight, Tom Sizemore, yep. Ashley Judd, like William Fickner is uh, Van Zandt cast. in this movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Unreal. Uh, Hank unreal. Azaria is in this for five minutes. Yeah. What's his Who? face? Plays Dr. Bob, uh, the uh, entourage. Dude. Oh, Jeremy Piven. Jeremy yeah. Piven. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who was uh, Hank Azaria in? Oh, in God. He's Marciano, according to Wikipedia here. I'm trying to remember exactly Marciano. what role he plays. Yeah. Is he the uh, guy that oh, like? Oh no! Yeah, he's the he's the shitty Las Vegas guy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember there, what role he had really. There's a subplot basically where um, Val Kilmer Val Kilmer has a gambling problem, right? And yes. uh, we learn that because after he comes back from the heist where they just stole one point five one point six million dollars, he has eight thousand dollars left uh-huh. after paying off his bookies, um, and so he and his wife have a, like a not great marriage. Uh, and uh, she, it turns out, is cheating on him with this guy that she met in Vegas or that is from Vegas, uh, who is played by Hank Azaria, who is just this worm, this fucking slime ball, creatozoid yeah. worm. And uh, basically he, he becomes essential to the plot when the, um, the cops are trying to use her to get at Val Kilmer. Right. And uh, they do that by using um, him as kind of bait to draw her out. Uh, it do- also does have, um, Danielle, you were hinting at this a second ago, like Al Pacino at his most Al Pacino I've ever oh. literally seen him. Like, yeah. this this oh. is the Al Pacino that I have seen parodied and, like, uh, done in SNL sketches for my entire life uh, and yeah. didn't realize uh-huh. it, which is him looking at Hank Azaria and, like, holding his hands out real wide and his eyes bug out of his uh-huh. skull. And he's like, and, and she's got just... Sorry, oh, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. No, say, please. He, he, he screams, she's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got your head all the way up it. That <laughs> like, scene <laughs> was just, just, oh my it's God. It's too much. It's too fucking much. It's just too much. And it's so good. It's such a commanding performance. And again, on both sides, like both of them are playing like both of them are on the top of their game. They're both at this point, you know, they're not young guys anymore, but they both had like incredible careers already to this point. And this is almost you could argue peak for both of them. Again, one of them playing restraint and one of them playing all the way over the top. And it really plays nicely into the whole cat and mouse thing of like, these are two guys from both sides of the law, blah, blah, blah. One's the heat and one's the, you know, the criminal. And they're both also playing opposite human beings who are both incredibly good at what they do. Like the very, very best at what they do, the best criminal and the best cop. And they're both opposite people, uh, which is genuinely, it works really well here. Again, this is wildly over the top in some ways. This is the 90s ass 90s movie uh, oh my god! That yeah. exists, right? And it's the most Michael Mann ass movie that exists as well. Uh, but it it really does work. It all slots in really nicely, with the exception, of course, we've already alluded to, like the fact that people of color in this movie have fucking nothing to do. Uh, they're basically kind of just around for, you know, De Niro and Pacino to do their thing. Uh, yeah, they're which plot is like, devices um, in a to yeah. an obscene degree, really. Yeah. yeah. Danny I Trejo mean, being named Trejo, like, come on, guys, like, yeah, really? so the, <laughs> yeah, there is also this like very weird subplot that uh, it's like Goes this nowhere. movie. This movie is really well put together for the most part, but there are yeah. these like little side things that feel like why was this in here? Um, so there is the uh, the subplot with uh, the cook, the cook. Um, yeah, what's his name? Oh my god! This is why. This is how bad this is. That it's like 
I'm trying to think of his name. There's so many people in this movie, too. This movie, by the way, for people who have maybe didn't watch it before this or haven't seen it in the past, is almost three hours long. Right. Um, and I don't know that it necessarily justifies all of that length, as we're kind of alluding to right now. Yeah. Is it, um, is it's, it, um, uh, I believe it's Braden. No, Braden. Okay. Um, and, uh... Yeah, I don't remember anyone's name in this movie. Um, no, God. Until you started saying them out loud to me, I was just thinking in my head, Val Kilmer, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, John Voight, because it's just the entire cast of anybody who has any kind of agency or importance in this movie is just like one of those actors that is just going to be themselves and always playing yeah, themselves for exactly. the rest of time. His name um, is Donald, but I, I'm trying to think of like, wait, is he even in the cast here? The Donald's the character. Fake Donald? Donald is the guy that you you saw that cop with the balding head and you're like this guy's a Donald and this I was like he no, does look cook- a lot like a Donald though he does no the cook's actual name is Donald is uh, it like in the in the movie <laughs> Donald God. takes over Trejo's job uh where is he in this cast? I don't think he's in the cast, despite the fact that he has... No, his name is Donald Breeden. Yeah, it is yeah, Breeden, like yeah, I okay, said. Yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, it so just doesn't have Donald here. That, that character's whole subplot is, like, very odd, because we see him show up, like, halfway through the movie, and he's trying to get this job. He's, like, on parole, and the cook that he has been referred to by his parole officer is, like, corrupt and is just, like like fucking awful Total uh, literally stealing it, from him literally uh, stealing from him telling him that like if he fucks up at all he'll tell his um parole officer that he was like drunk or aggressive or something um and so he's working this like absolute shit job and like his wife or girlfriend is just like it's gonna be okay like you're gonna do it and like we don't really see anything from him again for like an hour and mm-hmm. then it so happens that Macaulay is having dinner in this diner where he's working. And like, that feels like very weird. Like it's like, Oh, just happenstance. You happen to like, I don't know. Um, it it yeah. feels to me very much like this is a very super fucking nineties, almost like woke white man. Like, Oh, you know what we should do? Cause we're having a crime movie and it's set in LA. You know what we should do? We should show that sometimes uh, people are forced into a life of crime or feel forced into a life of crime by all these factors. And we'll do it by having this fucking piece of shit, bad, what co- like, Z-plot uh, with, you know, with these these actors who are doing their absolute best with the material. But, like, it's framed, like, almost kind of cornily. Like, it, it looks like it's from another movie or something. And yeah, it really yeah. does feel that way. It, and like, He feels so like a, a primary character in, yeah, in another yeah, movie. Yeah, in another yeah. movie. And it's weird because this movie, like, again, uh, cinematography, incredible. incredible. Acting, incredible. Action yeah. scenes and staging, incredible. But there are these weird things of, like, it feels like there are other movies. Go- like, the, yeah. Nat- Natalie Portman's character, too. We see her, like, three yeah. times. And the third time we see her, she has made a suicide attempt and is in uh, her stepdad's bathtub at his hotel. And it's like, right. we yeah. got sort of that she was troubled. Like, the first time we see her, she's looking for blue barrettes and she's really upset. The second time, yeah. she's sitting on, like, a bench on the sidewalk and... uh Hannah picks her up and she's like, oh, I wanted to be alone. And the third time we see her is when she has like made this attempt. And yeah. it's like, right. what movie? Like, this is a different movie. Yeah. That, that one is at least makes a little bit more sense for me because there's literally a line about like um, when they bring her to the hospital, one of the doctors asks like, when was the last time anybody saw her? Yeah. And it, there is kind of a moment where Al Pacino, they, I think what they're trying to convey is like they were all so wrapped up in their own bullshit yeah. between themselves that they literally didn't even know where she was that whole time. And that's kind of the point. Oh my uh, God, yeah. Because this is where, after Ralph. Um, okay, Ralph. <laughs> so yeah, there's a scene like... Where uh, Hannah comes home and there's this guy sitting on his couch, and um, oh right, fuck. His wife's like, "This is my friend Ralph," and Xander he's just Berkeley. like Xander Berkeley, who uh, <laughs> was uh, had played Wayne Grow in L.A. Takedown, which was um, a uh, was going to be a t- yeah yeah it was going to be a TV series uh, version of Heat, and then was turned into a TV movie in eighty uh, nine. And it was sort of like the, I don't know. It was like a different version of it. But so yeah. he was, he was, uh, Wayne Grow in that. And, uh, 
he's Ralph in this. And there's this great scene <laughs> where um, I want to look it up because uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Because um, he's watching TV. Yes. On Al Pacino's TV specifically. <laughs> don't, no, don't, <laughs> don't ruin it. Um, he's just like, uh, like, because she's like, oh, you don't even get angry? And he's like, I'm angry. I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech postmodernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. And he just like <laughs> takes the TV and leaves. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then later on it just has the tv in his passenger seat and like get, tosses it out the side of the car in front of a bus stop to a bus uh-huh. lane yeah because he's like pulling it out of the wall in such a way that it yeah. is destroying the tv and like ralph just keeps going like i should go and he's like you sit the fuck down ralph <laughs> and this guy is just like i'm so sorry i didn't know that you were married and like everyone's like ralph shut up <laughs> ralph i feel bad you know what? I feel bad I feel, for a lot of people in this movie. I might feel the worst for Ralph. Like <laughs> I feel a little bad for Ralph. She literally says, I wouldn't have to debase myself with yeah. Ralph if you weren't around. It's just like, what the fuck did Ralph He's do in like, all this? Yeah. Um, like, so Jesus yeah. Christ, Al Pacino's no fucking angel here. over here. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, basically, uh, things are deteriorate for everyone. And um, the climax is, you know, we've got this one last heist because Macaulay realizes like they're onto them and he wants to do one last score before he retires to New Zealand with, uh, with Edie and he asks, you know, he gets his, his gang and they're all like, yeah, I'm into whatever, even though like they don't really have to, but like you can, it's, I guess it's implied that some of them are more like addicted to the thrill of doing heists than they are of actually having money. And I think Uh, there's a thing that I think they're kind of going for, especially in that scene and some stuff that they kind of set up early on, which again, almost feels like it's from a different movie than this one between Val Kilmer and uh, Robert De Niro's characters uh, is, is the idea that, Oh, these guys are tight. These guys are. Yeah. They're brothers, right? Yeah. They're they're guys being dudes. Yeah. They're that's this whole movie is just guys being dudes. And what's better than that? Yeah. Uh, But no. Yeah. um, Yeah. De Niro, uh, De Niro's character, Macaulay has, this weird thing with uh, with Chris, there's that one especially weird scene where uh, Macaulay sees uh, Chris's wife, uh, Charlene, cheating on him. Yeah. And he confronts her about it and is like furious. And uh, it's just like, dude, like, it's, it's not one of your fucking business. But then yeah, he does. Right. He does make the offer. He's like, OK, you will give Chris one more chance and if he fucks up after that, like, I will set you up anywhere you want. I will make sure that you get to keep your kid and, like, you'll never have to see him again. So it's like, okay. Uh, uh, so, so a key <laughs> There's bit a of, good like, offer, but it, it's also not his place to make it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. a key bit of, like, extra uh, context for that at the beginning there is just, like, 15 minutes earlier, he was just talking to Chris, um, uh, who slept at his house, and asking him, like, are you cheating on her? And uh, he's like... Kind of non-committal about it. It's kind of like implied that he has maybe fooled around on like with with some people, but not really in any kind of like steady like relationship with anybody on the outside. But like, yeah. has, definitely doesn't deny that he is uh, sleeping with somebody else. And Robert De Niro is totally fine with that. But the idea that she would cheat on him, he right. fucking freaks the fuck out. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, you might say uh, toxic masculinity just kind of doused all over uh, a lot of what's going on here. It's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. It, there's a lot of toxic masculinity. There's a lot of like white guy kind of tough white guy worship. Uh there's a lot of things that are very much like uh, I mean, you would still see this in an action movie today, but uh e- even more so in the 90s, even more so in this uh, like the period that we're looking at well, right here. Well, right. See, I feel like you could watch this movie. Like I feel like uh you know that picture like of Gundam a uh, Gundam and uh, there's like someone looking at it, and the Gundam is like shooting over their head, like uh-huh. <laughs> war is bad. And they're just like, "Whoa, cool robot!" Yeah, I feel uh-huh. like you could watch this yeah. movie and just be like, "Whoa, cool heist!" When like uh-huh. to me, this movie is just basically about 
the way that these like obsessions destroy people and like and another thing too like you saying that just immediately makes me think of like if this was made today instead of in 1995 uh it would be a like seven season tv series and three 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 seasons in it would like the show itself would lean hard into that thing it would because it would be breaking bad right it would be breaking bad whereas Mm -hmm. like the first two three seasons are like no this guy is a is a fucked up and every all everything about this situation is fucked up and then by season three or four it'd be like no but isn't he cool though isn't it kind of cool how he like makes weird bombs out of chemistry set materials isn't that cool guys yeah Uh, Yeah. and this movie does kind of we'll get into that when we talk about the ending but this movie kind of gets there in a way that made me very uncomfortable Uh, yeah yeah, i like i'm so glad that this is not a tv series because (laughs) i feel like this movie did that did this kind of before that was i mean it was a thing people had been doing that for a while already obviously for like forever but definitely that like the prestige TV, um, bad, bad TV man, was, yeah. bad man is cool. Hadn't yeah. really become a thing yet because yeah. the no. Sopranos didn't air until ninety nine, right. um, and that was sort of the real inception of that whole thing for me. Yeah. Um, and so this is a little before that, and like, and even then, Sopranos was like. I don't think Sopranos went quite the direction that like you know basic cable cool bad guys cool stuff sure. kind of yeah. went. Sure. Yeah. Like, I think That's that was weird. even a few years after that. Right. So. There's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, there is one scene I just wanted to mention that uh, that I don't know if it quite sticks for me. And I wanted to just ask y'all how you felt about it. But there are so many attempts to sort of. This is this is a weird way of putting it. There are so many ways in which this is Al Pacino's movie. There are so many mm-hmm. ways in which the audience is really asked to super, super identify with this dude, even though we're supposed to think the crime is cool and that Robert De Niro's character is also very much, uh, you know, the central focus as well. There's so many ways in which we're still we're still really supposed to side with him because he's a, quote, good guy, right? He, yeah, he's he's the, the good cop who's, you know, he's on the right side of the law, all this shit. And there is there is a, a sort of a, a dual scene. There's a scene where he's dancing with his wife and it's all sexy and all hot. And she's talking about what a beast he is and all this stuff, which is adorable. Uh, and then it cuts. <laughs> he has to leave in a hurry and it cuts to there's kind of a dance there. And it cuts to him having to sort of confront this next murder again of this the young sex worker. Yeah. Uh, and he has to um, almost like keep. Uh, this this young woman's mother away from the body because it's too upsetting, basically. And so he's almost doing a dance with her. And, and the way it's cut, the way it's framed, there's almost this like, oh, the duality of man, you know, like the suffering he sees, the suffering he must deal with uh, that like, I don't know. I don't think it's super worked for me. Uh, it's like, yeah. I appreciate what they're going for. I do think there is like a, a, a nice uh, sense of, of filmmaking about it like like yes it, it looks beautiful it does look beautiful the way they're cr- they didn't cross cut the scenes but the way they put them kind of next to each other very much says like oh this is his real dance you know he's doing his fake dance with his wife but his real dance is out on the streets and I don't know if that worked for me but I just wanted to bring that up because it was something that kind of stuck in my mind long after uh, we finished watching I just kind of kept thinking about that scene and that like the haunted look in his eyes and all this other stuff and the way he brings up some of the awful things that he has seen to his wife after the fact after when she's kind of talking about him as a hunter and looking after his prey and that's what he really is it's just like a really weird sense of like are we supposed to find this really great about him and really heroic about him or are we supposed to feel a little bad for this guy there's just like an identification problem i have here that i didn't know if that struck you guys that's really interesting to me that you uh gravitated towards pacino's character because for me in like a crime movie i'm always rooting for the heist guys and and that to me is is one of the the tensions of movies like this is because um you know macaulay murdered a bunch of people like early on in the movie like he you know if he didn't personally shoot them himself like he gave the order um and we're we're kind of encouraged to forget about that by like the two or three like break the the two hour mark i mean and the movie's been going on long enough that like we're not really thinking of the instigating incident anymore and we're just like oh please like get away with edie like you can leave all this behind and have a perfect life in (laughs) in new zealand and go to fiji and see those bioluminescent whatever um (laughs) and uh yeah, like to me, 
um, Pacino is like, I mean, I I want him to be frustrated and I want him to yeah. fail and I want him to like be be like cursing the skies like Macaulay. <laughs> right. Um, my so, head was on my ass. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um. It's not a good way to present it, but it is a very 1995 way to present it, which is, I think, sure. that, like, the litmus paper for who is the good guy and who's the bad guy is basically just, like, using the women in their lives yeah. as that. Yeah. And Robert De Niro treats Edie generally better than, I would say, Al Pacino treats uh, his wife in this movie, which is to say, like, again, they, they literally neglect the, his stepdaughter to the point that she um, is having suicidal thoughts and you know uh, eventually takes action on that in a way that like is very bad um and you know his there is an element to it too uh, that is i'm uncertain how much this is the movie being aware of it i doubt the movie is that aware of it um but there is that whole scene where he's like talking about you, you know i see all this fucked up shit every day and i can't bring that home to you or whatever it's just like well why like what makes him so much uh, more special that he can uh, definitely deal with all this horrible shit he sees every single day, but yeah. like nobody else could. Uh, like, his wife definitely couldn't. Like it wouldn't make any sense. Like it's not like you know being a cop, and maybe this is just what Hollywood movies thought of cops at the time. But like mm-hmm. it's not like being a cop gives him like magical emotional processing powers that makes him better <laughs> at handling that information. Yeah. Um, why Why wouldn't she be any better at dealing with it than he is? Uh, except for the fact that you know he thinks he's this sort of patriarchal figure that is. Um, protecting her from the outside world. And it, again, like he just has no extra layers of skin than she does. So yeah, why not? I remember yelling at the screen, just like, you need therapy for that, dude. Like, yeah. it's also like a legitimate part of being a first responder. Like they, they tell you in class, like you're going to see some incredibly fucked up shit and you're going to need to learn how to, how to process it. Like that's like a part of the training for any kind of person who deals with uh, death or, or trauma, like on a, on a daily basis. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like, uh, come on movie. Like, all right. I know what you want. I know you want to pre you know, create this heroic super macho figure, but like, ugh, shut up, go put his gold chain on something else and just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> were, were the mid nine early and mid nineties just really, really, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I wonder, it's like, were they just really terrible to men in general, in terms of, in terms of like toxic masculinity, just being at the height of its powers, maybe in the nineties, like this whole wall street ass greed is good style, um, kind of presentation of like what power and, you know, being a person in charge meant. I actually think the eighties um, were worse for the eighties were worse. I, Personally, because uh, at least in the 90s, there were um, like, this isn't great or a huge step up, but at least in the 90s, there were some other ways of being uh, in some terms. Like 80s were much more. I, I think of the 80s, I think of extremely, extremely action man. I think of Schwarzenegger. I think of. Yeah, Stallone, no, I mean, even 80s, uh, the 80s are the yeah. decade that. Um, Schwarzenegger and Stallone became like the guys and even before that too like John Wayne um, oh yeah yeah and if you look at like the kinds of like I don't know I think all the stuff also is not linear like it goes back and forth a lot right but like if you look at some like older male movie stars like they're not like a lot of them like are I don't know like kind of cowardly almost in their roles or like are aren't like you know these like super masked guys like they're just like and part of that is just like the norms were different but um definitely like uh even like within the 80s like if you look at the transition from rambo uh from first blood to rambo 2 it's like very odd because first blood was a movie about ptsd (laughs) and how war is bad and uh, everyone was just like, wow, cool guns. Um, yep. Because uh, Rambo, or First Blood Part 2, is uh, just like... Do we get to win this time, sir? Yeah. Oh, like... God! Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think during the 80s, there was this big um, transformation. And, you know, the 80s is also um, like Reagan... Um, oh sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. 
It's a huge pushback from second wave feminism in a lot of ways, or at least that's how a lot yeah. of film scholars yeah. have looked at a lot of things in the 80s, for sure, as yeah. being like mm-hmm. pretty regressive against some of the stuff that was happening in the 70s. Right, yeah, absolutely. And that's broad. I- that's a super broad thing to say. Uh, like, um, we could we could have a whole podcast about, you know, like these uh, these movements. But yeah, I, I think that's a lot of what was going on. Gotcha. I mean, I just had to look up the release date of Die Hard, the original Die Hard. Um, which 88, right? Yeah, way yeah. earlier than I thought. I thought that was a 90s movie. Um, and that, to me, has always been in the back of my mind, at, despite the fact that I was not alive in the 80s and was five years old <laughs> when the heat came out. Um, <laughs> I always consider, like, in the oeuvre of, like, Hollywood action movies. Uh, Die Hard is the movie where, okay, we're going to move away from the idea that one person can take on 70 and move into the idea of like, you can take, one person can take on 70, but he's crawling through vents and walking over broken glass and taking them on one at a time. Yes, (laughs) totally. Like guerrilla tactics and stuff like that. That's the cool thing. Like, you know, using your physical muscles and your brain at the same time to kill (laughs) Alan Rickman. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. A lot of that. A lot of that, for sure. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the ending? Uh, yeah, let's move into the ending. So um, basically, they they do this one last heist, and basically, it's a more or less a straight up bank robbery. They walk in, put on masks, yeah, uh, grab this cash from security guards, and um, there's that great line where um, Macaulay's like, "We're not here for your money. Your money is protected by the federal government. We're just stealing mm-hmm. for the bank, so don't do anything smart." And it's like, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. You (laughs) are correct, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so they uh, unfortunately have been uh, set up by Mm. uh, Wayne Grow, who has- Kind of a conspiracy of people. Has made a deal with Van Zandt, yes. Uh, He's brought in basically to help Van Zandt uh, kill Macaulay, because Van Zandt has not let this go. And even after Macaulay killed like three of his guys and swore, I guess because he swore vengeance on him. So he's like, I got to kill this guy first. Yeah. Although at this point, Macaulay has basically forgotten about him. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite details <laughs> and it's just of this like, movie. Uh, yeah, I don't have time for that anymore. Until yeah. he works with Wayne Grow to betray them. And uh, they, well, they first torture Tra- yeah, Danny Trejo. Trejo's character and kill his girlfriend. And they get the information on what's going down. Uh, and there's this huge shootout in downtown LA, like this, just this Massive. like 20 yeah. minute right. long shootout of just like, it's wild. It's, it's, fun, it's Black the, Hawk down in Los yeah, Angeles. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Um, and this scene actually is where I, I realized something and I looked it up and my suspicion was borne out that he really inspired Grand Theft Auto 3. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, the, a lot of the look of that movie and like thinking about what happens in that movie or in that game when you just like start shooting a car. And I think Danielle I even said to you, like, oh, this is like yeah. four stars now. Yep. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it did also, um, it was one also one of the inspirations GTA 5. There is um, a mission in that game actually based on the uh, first heist in this movie. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so basically it breaks bad and um several of them are killed. Uh Chris is wounded and Macaulay escapes somehow and uh finds Not Trejo, really clear. Find, yeah, no, finds yeah. Trejo dead. <laughs> uh Trejo tells him it was Wayne Grow. Uh, Macaulay Mercy kills him and then uh goes and kills Van Zant. In his house, he throws a <laughs> Which chair is a great, through his window. <laughs> it's also a really great scene. I love that, too, of just like the... Um, it does really kind of show what kind of criminal that uh, Macaulay is, especially at this point in the movie where he has, again, forgotten about Van Zandt and how, like, unimportant Van Zandt is almost to him <laughs> in, like, the course of his life right up until the moment that his friends got killed. Because there's this scene, he throws the chair through Van Zandt's window. Van Zandt is watching hockey <laughs> on his TV. Uh-huh. And uh, Robert De Niro walks in, points a gun at him and says, where the hell is Wayne Grow? He doesn't even care about Van Zandt at this point, despite all of the resources and uh, 
uh, stuff that like was the impetus for this being Van Zandt's fault. He wants Rain- Wayne Grow because Wayne Grow is a person he can like visualize. Like Wayne Grow yeah. is somebody he worked with, um, and he's like, "How the hell would I know?" And he just shoots him three <laughs> times in the chest. <laughs> Uh, walks away. Uh, yep. yep. And so then he's basically on his like cleanup revenge tour. Uh he's he's on his rampage at this point. Um but he uh goes back to he uh Edie and um he's just like I'm a crime man and uh <laughs> she's like pretty I think logically freaked out and he's just like you got to come with me. And it's like <laughs> I mean he killed like a bunch of guys like yeah. i don't know my man but she's like okay i guess i will and then seems like pretty happy she's like oh i'm gonna go live in new zealand and be like super rich with my like she's gonna have her own graphic design studio which as a struggling artist in 90s la i mean she's yeah like, well <laughs> yeah hell yeah the, yeah and she <laughs> yeah. she likes him except for the crime man part but he's gonna stop being a crime man um yeah. And I also got the sense from her, again, no no woman character in this movie is fleshed out very much besides, yeah. like, the orbit that they have to the men in the movie. Yeah. But from her, I definitely got this kind of sense that she was maybe, like, not antisocial necessarily, but hadn't maybe necessarily ever been in, like, a really long committed relationship in her life before or something like that. So, like, she's in a prime position to be like, oh, well, this is just, like, what it's like when you're in love. Like, this is just, yeah. like, what normal people do, right? People run away with their weird um, multiple murderer boyfriend uh, to go become a millionaire in New Zealand. <laughs> LA kind of sucks. She kind of thinks LA sucks. And she's yeah. like, well, <laughs> this is a way out. Rightfully so. Um, <laughs> Zing. But uh yeah, so they're they're like escaping, but then he he's given the information of where Wayne Grow is and it's just like oh. I gotta make one quick stop. And um, he sure does. He God. Okay. He's like, keep the car running. I'll be in and out. And like, I thought his plan was just to walk up into the hotel room and shoot Wangro. No, he has a whole fucking <laughs> hitman style like thing where he like uh-huh. gets his gets his room number from uh, by calling Service. from room services, yeah. takes a security guard uniform, pulls the fire alarm, but <laughs> Wangro won't come out. And so he just walks in and like. And shoots him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and- just like an actual. Yeah. Right. But- I was, was going to say, it's just like an actual hitman level where it's just like, okay, yep. I've done all of yeah. this work. I've got the right disguise. I've got the right keys. I've created a distraction. I've set everything up. Yep. Oh, shit. It's not working the way I want it to. Fuck it. I'll just <laughs> shoot him and try yeah. to run out. <laughs> uh, the problem is that they that the cops have been surveying Wayne Grow. And so they see this go down. And right. uh, so... Uh, Macaulay, when he's he's fleeing and uh, he's you know he's he's said this line multiple times over the movie. He said the thirty seconds, like don't have anything in your life that you can't walk out on in thirty seconds when you feel the heat coming around the corner. And uh, he's admonished Chris about this before about having a wife and everything about this. And uh, you know he he's finally ready to settle down, but then he sees that Hannah is closing on him, and he's just like, I gotta go. It's like. I got to leave it behind. Sorry, Edie. And like, she's just sitting in this car for like 20 minutes while like all of these like emergency services are called to this building. Uh, People are like running outside. She's just like, what the fuck? Um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, his, his desire for revenge is basically his undoing because he ends up in this beautiful shootout on an airfield with Hannah. And, um, Hannah gets him. And uh, this last scene, this is just incredible. Macaulay is dying. He has like five bullet wounds and he's just like, I told you I wasn't going back. And then just puts out his hand and Hannah like holds his hand while he dies. And like the shot of them with like Macaulay facing, like lying back against this like crate with just his chest completely destroyed and just like lolling against it and then uh hannah like facing away from the camera just like in this like very like stout pose holding his hand is just like stunning it's incredible Um, it's it's such a beautiful series of shots and it's again it's like very michael matt like close-ups and then wider shots and then 
just this this ending shot of like the lights in the distance. A lot of times they've talked about oh the city of lights a few times throughout the movie and and all this other stuff. And Al Pacino has like a real connection and he feels very like a real paternal sense towards the city. Like he's almost like right. father of the city. He loves to look out on the city and he, and he's sort of looking out on the lights. There's a sort of blue eerie glow and there's this like incredible like electronic music like in the background like very very like ambient music. And it's just this just incredible moment. I, I and I I make a lot out of. I, I really think there's a lot to the sort of long handshake slash holding hands. Like the cat and the mouse have found respect for one another. I yeah. guess and or love. I don't know. It, there's a lot going on in, in in this scene, but it is just so incredibly beautifully shot. Uh, that is really visually stunning. It, it ties back to me in a way that I, like, it's a little, maybe not ham-fisted, it's ham-fisted if I lay it out like this, but Merritt, you mentioned earlier his, like, metaphor for the city being, like, this bioluminescence, and it's really interesting to me that, like, Robert De Niro's character looks out on the city, he looks out on L.A. at night, and what he sees is life. He sees, like, people and living things and motion and movement, and Al Pacino, when he talks about what he sees outside of his life with his wife is just death. It's like babies in microwaves. It's Mm. like whatever he talks about. And he's like, he goes back to his like kind of domestic life to try and escape from all that and pretend that it's not there. And I think it's less to do with the fact that he's even trying to protect his family from it so much as that he just doesn't want to think about like those two worlds being in the same place. He wants to very rigidly segment his life between the two of them because one is death and one is like, you know, normalcy. And Robert De Niro just looks at it and he sees it's it's just all one big thing. It's all together. Yeah. I mean, that uh, works. Yeah. I want to point out also that the only character who really gets out of this alive on the side of the, the crime boys is Chris. Yeah. Because he, uh, he's wounded, but he survives in the, the shootout and he gets a new identity and dyes his hair and cuts off his weird ponytail and uh, his, his wife is uh, participating in like this sting to get him, but at the very last second, she like gives the signal that they have that it's not safe, and so he regretfully leaves. Like he's never going to be able to see his son again. Right? They um, sacrifice their son basically because they're going to have to give up to, up to the system. They explain that to well, his no, wife. I th- I no, think she, I think she's no, no, no. Okay. I think she gets yeah. to keep the son because there is that scene where the cop is like, "Okay, you can betray. You either you either betray your husband and you get to keep your son, or you will go to jail as an accessory." But what happens in this scene is that. She basically gives him the signal to leave without them knowing that he's that she's done that. And then but the cops are like, oh, check him anyway. And like mm. they stop him and they're like, oh, no, this guy is like uh, uh, this is Hank Azaria. Like, uh, <laughs> he's, yeah, it's it's different. It's not him. It, he has different hair and a different ID. It's definitely not him. Um, not a ponytail in sight. And uh, God, I just when I was watching this movie, I kept thinking like, Man, how much easier was it to do crimes when like there wasn't internet or like uh-huh. <laughs> facial facial phones. recognition or yeah. like any of oh, that shit? Even yeah. even like one of the first fucking things in this movie is like him buying a f- bunch of fucking explosives and all he needs is his driver's license. There's oh, no mm-hmm. fucking way post 9-11 that that is a thing that you can do in the yeah. United States oh, I mean, anymore. Even even like running onto the airfield and like no one stops the <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. Um, which is wild, but, uh, but yeah, Chris gets out of it, but he is, you know, permanently cut off from his family and, uh, has he learned anything? Probably not. No, not really. (laughs) Uh, has anyone learned anything? Uh, Al Pacino might have a little bit. There's that scene where, um, as we alluded to earlier, his stepdaughter does try to kill herself and he takes her to the hospital, meets with his estranged wife and they kind of like talk it out and they're just like, could it ever work between us? Probably not. But like you get the impression that he's like, you know, he really cares about his stepdaughter. And like, so yeah. may- maybe he's sort of like his obsession is sated for now. Um, right. I mean, he did just like hmm, he did, didn't have like a 100 percent personal hand in all of it. But 
he was witness to and party to like basically the murder of a serial killer off the streets at that point, And also like this entire criminal network two criminal networks. If you count, uh, uh, Van Zandt and his yeah. money laundering scheme, uh, has basically been dismantled overnight. Like this just massive chunk of like the Los Angeles crime yeah. like <laughs> zone is gone. Well, wait, who are the other characters who make it out? Okay, John Voight's character, I definitely thought fine. was going to die. Yeah. I super thought he was going to get killed or betray Macaulay. Same. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. And then Henry Rollins. I mean, his house is like a little mashed up and he gets kicked in the head. He gets I think. a little yeah. beat up, but yeah. But he's fine. Um, but he's basically okay. fine. He he needs a new job, but yeah. <laughs> his boss is dead. The Vegas um, asshole is fine, right? Uh, yeah, he does yeah. get yelled at a lot. <laughs> yeah, but he deserves it. Yeah, yeah he's totally. A, he's a jerk. Hopefully, <laughs> he learned Charlene a lesson. And Charlene and the son are probably okay as well. I, yeah, I'm, I mean, she's never going to see her husband again. But I mean, yeah, but, but he, like, no, is that a he, bad thing? Considering, I don't, I don't know if that's right, what I yeah. took away from that though. Is that the that they're never going to see each other again? Because he like asks people outside of their. Uh, what are they playing basketball? Was that what it was? Yeah. Uh, there's there's like a group of people outside, and he asks them if they know a good place to like get a room nearby. Oh to, like, yeah, stay. yeah. So I, my true. assumption is that like they're gonna wait for their moment and like run for it or something. Okay. Like that. Maybe. Yeah. 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 It's possible. Uh, yeah, that's heat, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. Based on a true story, which again, very surprising. That's wild. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, has has like the face of the 90s as it's cast like right. the entire 90s oh, yeah. is all there i don't think we mentioned that west studi is in this movie yep. as, as like uh hannah's number two basically yep. yeah and i yeah, was yeah, like yeah. i was trying to think of the last movie i saw west studi in, and i know he's been in like a lot of um a lot of like famous movies, but um, oh yeah, yeah, like Street I, Fighter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like that. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the Last of the Mohicans, Dances with Wolves, Geronimo, The New yeah. World. All of these. I have seen Street Fighter. Yes, and uh, he <laughs> was definitely Sagat in Street Fighter. One year before Heat. <laughs> One year before before what? One year before Heat, he was Sagat. Oh, that's oh my god! This, this was one year. Uh, Heat was uh, oh Heat was one year before it. Wow, was one year after Street Fighter. Oh, um, oh, incredible. Uh, man, I'm looking at his. Uh, no, I mean his, he's like an accomplished actor. Yeah, totally. He just um, Street Fighter was just like a weird blip. There were a lot <laughs> a of accomplished actors in that movie. <laughs> oh, he's in Weirdly. Mystery Man. He is in Mystery Man. He plays yeah. the Sphinx in Mystery yeah. Man. Huh. Um, He's been on Penny Dreadful, which I that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. We should do Mystery <laughs> Men. Mystery Men. I was obsessed with that movie. Uh, I, me too. I don't know why. Hank Azaria also yep. in that movie. We have two yeah. people who are. Uh, we have two <laughs> connections. Two connections from uh, from Heat to Mystery Men. Probably yeah. more. That, those Eddie are Izzard, the two degrees of famously, Heat. Famously, Eddie Izzard is in. Mystery Men. I have not seen Mystery Men. Really? And we might need to do an episode on that one day. We we might. Danielle, I feel like you, of all people, would find a certain delight in Mystery Men. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> all right. Tom I'll Waits is shot. also in Mystery Men. So. Yeah, ben Stiller. Um, God, William H. Macy is like a weird wow. digger man. He like has lot, a shovel. A lot of guys. A lot of guys. A lot going on. A lot, lot of dudes. Going on there. Uh, Greg Kinnear. Yeah, so many people. Paul Rubens, again. Jeffrey Ka- Rush. Kel Mitchell. What, what a great cast. What is just a, a phenomenal <laughs> cast. Um, but, Truly, yeah. Mystery Man and Heat are the same film. Basically <laughs> the same film. Uh, does anyone else, does anyone have anything they want to like um, say before we wrap things up? I, I I will say I I now have a desire to watch even more Michael Mann movies. I've seen several, but uh, I'm missing a couple. So yeah, now now my uh, my appetite has been has been awakened again. Uh, it's funny to me because like as much as I can like appreciate like a lot of the craft around this movie and stuff like that, and appreciate that it was made, you know, 
God, 25 years ago now. Uh, so th- obviously things are very different and the way movies were made were very different. There are some parts of it too where having only otherwise seen the Miami Vice motion picture, uh, <laughs> I do notice some through lines with uh, Michael Mann's I don't know, politics, if if maybe that's not the right word, that like border on some like crypto fascism in some spots for me, Um, like the way he like likes to light and present cops and the ability of cops and like what cops are like faced with and up against like this idea that like these Mm. ultra competent criminals that are just like 100% like cold blooded killers at the drop of a hat and also just like able to, um, you know, run the police around on equal footing, you know, with, with, and again, this is a pre nine 11 film. Like this is a pre like surveillance state kind of thing. So that makes a little bit more sense in this movie than it maybe does in Miami vice. But like, there's the scene towards the end, especially where I don't even remember which, uh, it's kind of like one of the much lesser, uh, important criminal men during the like major, major, major shootout picks up like a young girl to use as like a human shield. And mm-hmm. there's this like loving shot of Al Pacino lining up this AR 15 yes! shot uh-huh. into his head. And it's just like, look at like a pro at work. Look at what his ability to protect the innocent and also take down the criminal with this military grade hardware. Isn't uh-huh. that incredible and amazing and impressive. Don't you just want to like revere this iconic figure of American protection. And they do almost that exact same thing in Miami Vice. It's the one scene from Miami Vice that um, sticks in my head, which is the scene where um, they're, I believe they're in like a trailer park or something like that, and someone has like a gun to like is holding a person a hostage as like a human shield, holds a gun to their head, and it's just like if you shoot, I'll, I'll you know I'll shoot her or or of him or whoever. Uh, and then like this woman with like a, a fucking just again military cosplay tactical straight out of a fucking magazine from the M- NRA type thing is pointing this gun at him and she's like explaining like how the human brain works and she's like I'm gonna shoot you between like the two cervical vertebrae and you'll your hands will um go limp before you can do anything and like I know all of this stuff about the human body and I'm such an efficient like glorified killer and then she just shoots him in the head and like saves the hostage immediately and it's just like there is a there is a pornographic quality to like military grade (laughs) violence in these movies that is just like "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm." it's a lot Anyway, but you know, not not maybe the like number one takeaway from this movie, but it was one of the things that really stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, well, if no one has anything else, then uh, I think that'll do it. Do we want to tell people where they can um, follow us and whatnot? Yeah, let's do all that. So uh, go to fanbyte.com to check out our written content and videos and all that stuff that is an audio that you find on this feed and uh, another one and another one. There's three of them now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we have three podcast feeds now. You can look, find them all on the site. Probably. Yeah. You can. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Danielle, where can people find you online? You'd find me, uh, you know, doing my heist uh, of content, I guess. I don't know. That didn't work out uh-huh. so hot, but it's fine. No, it's great. <laughs> on Twitter at Danielle R-I, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-R-I. And Stephen, would you like to tell people? Hi, you can find me on fanbyte.com, a website about video games and a bunch of other stuff. And you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Stephen Strum, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. And depending on when this episode goes up, I forget when our panel is, but we're going to be at PAX East this year. Uh, and we're going to be Saturday. doing a panel. It's on Saturday. So the Saturday after this episode goes up, we're going to have a panel at PAX East. The 29th of uh, <laughs> yeah. February. Leap year, everybody. Yep. Um, we are going to be having a panel at PAX East in Boston, uh, United States of America. And you can come see us. Uh, go talk about some stuff. We're going to do kind of a live episode of this podcast, kind of mixed with Late Lunch, our video series that you can watch on Twitch TV slash twitch.tv slash fanbite and if you have any questions or comments or you know just kind of just general you know things that you would like to share if that if they're cool uh you can go to podcast at fanbite.com to also hit us up there and uh, if you want to watch us at packs we're at the cuttlefish theater at 2 30 p.m yes which is very exciting uh please please come watch us be us yeah, yeah. 
You can uh, see how like uncomfortable we all. Well, I don't want to say we all. Uh, you can see how comfortable uncomfortable I look when I have to f- figure out what to do with my hands while I'm just sitting in front of a microphone and talking. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic problem. Yeah, classic podcaster issue. To be uh-huh. honest, yeah. I've been spinning around in my chair for the past fifty minutes. I'm yeah. so glad no one. Yeah, I'm, I don't have any idea what to do with my hands, but that's the magic of podcasting. Um, <laughs> We just, no, we should just all put our hands in that pain machine that tests if we're human or animals. <laughs> the ganja bar. Yeah. Well, the ganja bar, oh, yeah. actually, you're thinking of the needle. The, the ganja bar is the needle. The box is Frankenstein's Yeah, monster. you're right. Um, I don't know what the box is called, but um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's probably enough talking about Dune. Um, we should watch Dune. We should watch Dune. Oh, my God. We should watch Merit. Dune. We'd have so much to talk about. We should about. watch Dune, for sure. That's a thing. Ooh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, that's it for this show, uh, which is called You Love to See It. And I guess, what is our sign-off? Is it just also saying the name of the show? Yeah, but uh, somebody should do it in a very Al Pacino way, I think. Oh, can I, can I do it? Or Merit, yeah. do you want to do no, it? No, no, no. Okay. You do it. You do it. Go for it. Because you did a good one earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for watching, and you love to see it! (laughs) (laughs) Good! (laughs) Good! Bye. Bye! Bye!